Lord, we'll end prayer. Father, we do ask this morning, Lord, that you would prepare us to be your sanctuary. Lord, that you'd touch us, that you'd move in our lives, Lord, and that you would have your way. I pray, Lord, that you will speak through your word to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 11 this morning. The Bible tells us that Job was a godly man. And despite the fact that he was a godly man, in just a short period of time, all of his children were killed in an accident. He lost his possessions. He lost his health. And everything seemed to be going crazy in Job's life. There are times in our lives where things seem to go crazy, aren't they? Where it seems like things aren't in control. And we need in those times to recognize that God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. God is faithful to be with us and to carry us through those times of difficulty. Uh, Here in, in Revelation chapter 11, I believe God was wanting to communicate both to the people of John's day as well as to people across time uh, about the fact that when persecution comes, God is faithful. God is in charge. Also, that when that great day, that time that the Scripture describes as the worst time in the history of mankind, when that time comes, God will be with His people and God will be in charge. We need to trust in His faithfulness in those times of difficulty. And we need to rely upon His faithfulness and power. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 1. There are three things that I want you to see. First of all, God is in charge when people rebel. God is in charge when good men die or when good men suffer. And then God is in charge at the time of judgment. Look at verse 1. It says, Then I was given a measuring reed like a rod with these words. Go and measure God's sanctuary and the altar and count those who worship there. But exclude the courtyard outside in the sanctuary. Don't measure it because it is given to the nations and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. I will empower my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, dressed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone wants to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These men have the power to close the sky so that it does not rain during the days of their prophecy. They also have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with any plague wherever they want. When they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make a war with them, conquer them, and kill them. Their dead bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is called prophetically Sodom and Gomorrah, or excuse me, Sodom and Egypt, which is prophetically. Uh, and where also their Lord was crucified. 
and representatives from the peoples, tribes, languages, and nations will view their bodies for three and a half days and not permit their bodies to be put in the tomb. Those who live on earth will gloat over them and celebrate and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who live on the earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet. So great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. They went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched them. At that moment, a violent earthquake took place. A tenth of the city fell, and 7,000 people were killed in an earthquake. The survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Take note, the third woe is coming quickly. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. The 24 elders who were seated before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We thank you, Lord God, the Almighty who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry. Your wrath has come. A time has come for the dead to be judged, to give the reward to your servants, the prophets, to the saints, and to those who fear your name, both small and great. And the time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. God's sanctuary in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant appeared in his sanctuary. There were lightnings, thunderings, rumblings, and an earthquake and severe hail. Now, what is the context of this scripture? I'm going to do a little bit of teaching this morning. I would like you, if you will, to turn over to the book of Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, I want to give you a little context. What has the Bible said about this time period in history? If you look at Daniel chapter 7 and verse 3, we'll look at verse 2 first. Daniel said, In my vision at night I was watching, and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. Four huge beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Now, we're not going to go through the beasts, but I uh, wanted you to see that. Look at... Um, uh, the verse 9 says that the thrones were set in place. The Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head was like white as wool. His throne was flazing, flaming fire. His wheels were blazing fire. And then look over at verse 13. I continued watching in the night visions, and I saw one like a son of man. That's a name for Jesus. Coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given authority to rule and glory and a kingdom so that those of every nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Then look over at verse 23. Daniel asks about this fourth beast. This is what he said. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth, trample it down, and crush it. The ten horns are ten kings who will rise from this kingdom. Another different from the previous one will rise after them, another king, that is, after them, and subdue three kings. 
He will speak words against the Most High. That's very important. And oppress the holy ones of the Most High. He will intend to change religious festivals and laws. And then look over at verse 26. But the court will convene and his dominion will be taken away to be completely destroyed forever. The kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all heaven will be given to the people, the holy ones of the Most High. And his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will serve and obey him. So here in Daniel, you see uh, this, this kind of summing up of prophetic history in one chapter. It's an interlude here, and he's preparing for the rest of the book. That's exactly what's happening in Revelation. Chapter 10 and chapter 11 are an interlude that give you kind of a back. You step back and you look at the big picture as a whole, and you see, first of all, this beast that comes up out of the ocean that Revelation 11 talks about, comes up out of the sea. You see him mentioned here in Daniel chapter 7. You see him described. Uh, as the one who will defeat other kings and, and will speak against the Most High and who will persecute the people of God. And then you see in the middle of the chapter the perspective. Jesus will come back and defeat him. Now, look with me, if you will, over at the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 13 Then you'll see, uh, on that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the residents of Jerusalem to wash away sin and impurity. Uh, he's talking about the one whom they pierced, uh, chapter 12.10 says. Uh, and so this is a time of when Jesus has come. He has redeemed humanity. But uh, also, in prophecy, sometimes everything is put into a... Uh, kind of a compact form, and this is the case here, where both the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus are talked about together. Uh, and so uh, here in chapter 13, you see him saying, uh, verse 8, In the whole land, the Lord's declaration, two-thirds will be cut off and die, but a third will be left in it. I will put this third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is refined. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people and they will say, the Lord is our God. So God says, I am going to take them. And this is the period before the second coming of Christ. I'm going to take them through a time of great refining and, and purifying. And then chapter 12, 10 says, And they will look at me whom they have pierced. They will look at Jesus when he comes back in his second coming. They'll look on him whom they have pierced, and they will embrace him as their Messiah. But this, this time of refining will come first. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided in your presence, and I will gather the nations against Jerusalem for battle. The city will be captured, the houses looted, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be removed from the city. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. So I wanted you to give you some context here for this prophecy we find in the book of Revelation. This is a time of judgment upon the world, but it is also a time of chastening for the people of Israel to bring them back 
to a faith in their Messiah, uh, Jesus Christ. And so uh, then the Lord will come and fight on their behalf. One other scripture I want to take you to before we get to Revelation. Look at Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. This is the story of the, the transfiguration. Verse 1, After six days Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transformed in front of them. His face shone like the sun. Even its clothes became white as light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And then Peter says his thing. And, um, but look up in, in the disciples, verse 10. The disciples questioned him. Uh, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Elijah is coming and will restore everything, he replied. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they didn't recognize him. On the contrary, they did whatever they pleased to him. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. So um, Jesus is talking about, he says, don't tell anybody about this transfiguration thing that's just happened. Uh, and, and so the disciples say, hey, you know, we remember this prophecy about Elijah coming before the second coming or before the coming of Christ. And so uh, he says, tell us about Elijah. And so Jesus answers them. And there's an interesting uh, Greek construction here, which separates these two verses apart in verses 11 and 12. Uh, and Jesus in verse 11 says, on the one hand, That's the significance of the Greek. On the one hand, Elijah is coming and will restore everything. So he says, he is coming in the future. But he says, on the other hand, verse 12, I tell you, Elijah has already come. Who's he talking about? John the Baptist. Okay? John, Elijah has already come, and they didn't recognize him. So uh, when they're talking about John the Baptist, he is a type or a picture or a pattern of Elijah that will come before the second coming of Christ. All right, there's your context. Let's flip back over to Revelation chapter 11. The the first thing I want you to see this morning is that God is in charge when people rebel. Now, we know that the nations are rebelling here because we see them trampling the uh, outer court area of the temple For 42 months. For three and a half years, the Gentiles will trample the courts of the temple. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what that's all about. Um, There's some theories out there. But what the Bible does tell us is that the Antichrist, this world ruler, will make a treaty with Israel for seven years. And then halfway through that seven-year period, he will go back on his treaty, go back on his promise... And then he will begin to persecute Israel. And uh, he will begin to come against the temple and the worship of Israel. And he will eventually set up a a system of worship in the temple itself. And so uh, this is a picture of the Gentiles persecuting the people of God. So they're rebelling. But I think there is something else going on here. Because he talks about these measuring rods and so forth. Um, Sometimes in Scripture, measuring rods are used to bring comfort. Like in Ezekiel, 
chapter 40. Measuring rods are used to, to measure that future millennial temple uh, that God has for his people. And God says, hey, you have rebelled against me and you are in captivity and, and you're being chastened for what you've done, but I've got news for you. There is hope. I am coming again. I'm going to make my temple uh, and you're going to enjoy fellowship with me. I will be your God and you will be my people. And so he comforted the people. Now, I think there's probably something like that going on here, but there's also, I think, a measuring kind of like happened with Belshazzar. You remember the story of Belshazzar? Belshazzar is worshiping his foreign gods with the articles of the temple and having a great time. And a hand appears and writes on the word, many, many tekel you parson, and, and it, it, your, your days are numbered, and your kingdom is given to another, and so forth and so on. And, and that very night, the Persians took Babylon, and Belshazzar lost his kingdom because he was weighed in God's balance and found wanting. I think there is a rebellion of the Israelite people against the things of God. And I think this scripture describes this period that we read about in Zechariah where God chastens the people of Israel to bring them back to himself. So I think there's a rebellion of the people of Israel going on as well. God is in charge when people rebel. Have you ever wondered, well, why does God let uh, that, that person get away with that sin that they've committed? You know, they, they've done this horrible sin, and, and it seems like everything's going well for them. Why would God allow such a thing to happen? Or we look at it and we see that person who's lost, who's making all kinds of money and doing great by the world's standards, and we say, Lord, here I am struggling. Lord, why have you allowed this person to do well? And, and we wonder, and things seem crazy. It doesn't seem to make sense. And, and, and we wonder about these things. Can I tell you, God is in charge when people rebel. David said, I entered the sanctuary. He was having these same kinds of questions. He says, I entered the sanctuary, and then I understood that God has made their way slippery. In an instant, they'll be destroyed. You know, there is a judgment coming. God is in charge when people rebel. He is in charge when his people rebel. He is able to chasten. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Why? Because he wants you to partake in his character. He wants you to know what it is to live the abundant life. He wants you to enjoy his presence. So, he doesn't wring his hands when his people rebel, but he does chasten to bring you back. God's in control. God's in charge. Now, God doesn't actually bring the persecution himself. God just permits the enemy to do so. So I hear some people say, well, you know, God, God causes all these, these things. No. One of the reasons we're in the problem we're in is because Adam and Eve sinned and we lived in a cursed world. But another reason we have issues is because the devil hates us and is trying to destroy us. But he has to ask God's permission. I know that from the book of Job. And I know that from others. Uh, the, the Bible says that God spoke of, uh, Jesus spoke of Peter. He says, the devil has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. You see, he says, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So, God is in charge when people rebel. 
Um, what, is, what does that mean to us? It, well, first of all, it means that if somebody else isn't doing the right thing, you just keep on trusting God and doing the right thing. You let God worry about that other person. You trust God. You obey God. You keep sharing about Jesus. You keep doing what God's called you to do. You keep using your spiritual gift. Don't get discouraged because somebody else isn't doing what they're supposed to do. You do what God has called you to do. Finish your course. I love what the Apostle Paul said. I have finished my course. I have kept, I've run the race. I've kept the faith. We have a race to run. And everything's at stake. There are people that are headed to hell. There are God's people who are struggling and need encouragement. There are things to do for God while we're here. We need to run the race that God has called us to run. God is in charge when people rebel. God is in charge when good men die. Now, how you like this for injustice? Or at least it seems injustice on the, on the surface. You have these two witnesses, which by the way, I believe are Moses and Elijah. I won't fight to the death on that hill, but I, I think they're probably Moses and Elijah because the Bible said Elijah will come. I think this will be one of the fulfillments of that prophecy. And Moses and Elijah were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And they asked about Elijah. And what did Jesus say? Well, he has come with John the Baptist, but he will come. Elijah will come. John, John the Baptist himself said in John chapter 1, he said, I'm not him. They said, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. He was Elijah in the sense that he was a type, but he wasn't Elijah. And so that prophecy was yet, yet future. So uh, I believe it's Moses and Elijah here, but whatever, whatever you want to believe on that is fine. But these two witnesses will be pro prophesying and preaching against sin. And they do some of the same things that Moses and Elijah did. They, they will use plagues. You remember Moses, he goes before Pharaoh and he says, Thus says the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, don't think so. And so Moses says, well, God's going to bring this plague. And uh, finally he says, God's going to bring this plague. He's going he's to distinguish between his people and between your people. And so the plague would come on Egypt, but the people of Israel would be spared. So they will bring plagues. They will also call down fire. And, and they will stop the earth from having rain. Well, how'd, you, how'd you like that? You think you've seen drought here in the summer. Wait till the two witnesses get here. It's going to be something. It's going to be interesting. Anyway, Elijah did that. You remember the story? For three and a half years, there wasn't rain in the land of Israel. He prayed to God that it would stop raining. And then after that period of time, he prayed again and God sent rain. This is what they'll do. They will do the same kinds of things that Moses and Elijah did as they preach against sin. And the Bible says fire will come out from their mouths to devour their enemies. I don't know what that's all about. But uh, I, I don't want to be one of their enemies. I know that, whatever that means. Uh, I don't want to be one of their enemies. So these men will prophesy and the whole world will be affected by it. The whole world will hear the message. And the whole world will undergo the plagues and the judgments that they bring about. But when their witness is completed. Let's look at that verse. 
That's important. Look at that. Verse 7, when they finish their testimony, the beast that comes out of the abyss will make war with them. That's so important. When they finish their testimony. Can I tell you something? You as a child of God are indestructible until God's finished with you. And even then, God is in control of what happens to you. (laughs) Fear can go out the window. You have a mission to accomplish. The witnesses had a mission to accomplish. They had a, a testimony, a witness to give the world. And God said, I will not let anybody touch you until my purpose through you is finished. And then God allowed the beast to come against them. Now, you remember we just read about that in Daniel? How the the fourth beast, which represents Rome, by the way, there would be a, a ruler that would come up out of the Roman Empire who would be the Antichrist. This ruler, the beast, called that because a beast brings up all these images of of some kind of ferocious thing coming to to attack you. We were talking about dreams the other day and uh, and talking about different things that we had happen in dreams. uh, Have you ever had one of those dreams where something was after you? That's the kind of picture you have here. This ferocious beast and this, this beast... He, he comes up out of the sea, and it, it's a world ruler who will come against God's people, not just the two witnesses, but against God's people as a whole. But he will definitely come against them and will kill them. You say, well, that's not fair. I seem to remember someone else having that happen on a hill called Calvary, our Savior. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. God has not promised you an easy road. Not promised me that. But what he has promised is abundant life. He's also promised rewards for the persecution. You remember what Jesus said? Rejoice when men persecute you. Revile you, persecute you. Say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. Isaiah, tradition tells us, was sawed in two in persecution. Tradition tells us that all of the apostles except one, and some say that John was eventually killed as well. But John, according to some sources, say that he died on the, on the Isle of Patmos in prison. But all the others were martyred. So, you say, well, preacher, you're sure preaching an encouraging message today. Well, it's the truth, okay? It's it's the truth. The Bible says that those who live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. We have been largely shielded from that in our nation, but it is a reality around the world. Those who live God in Christ will suffer persecution. And depending on what our government does, listen, we need to vote. I'm telling you, we need to vote. Depending on what our government does in the future, we may undergo some of the same types of things that they're going through. 
But God is in charge when good men die and when they suffer. I love the story of Job and how it ends. The Bible says that Job, at the end, was blessed twice as much as before. You can't outgive the Lord. One of the great things, we really don't deserve the rewards he gives us. The Bible says what we deserve is hell. I don't want what I deserve, God, please. Uh, I, I want grace. But God, because of his goodness, chooses to reward us and bless us for the things we do for him. There's actually a special crown given to those who are killed for their faith. But God is in charge. Now, he's in charge when good men die, and he's in charge when it's time for judgment. There will come a day of judgment. And as this chapter just kind of moves back and looks at the whole picture, it's now going to describe the time of Jesus taking his throne. It's coming. It's spoken of in, in something called a, a futuristic past. It's like a, 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 a way of saying it in the original language that says this will happen. It's absolutely going to happen. And, and it's giving us a picture, a glimpse uh, of something that's going to happen in the future when Jesus takes his throne. Everything else is going crazy, but God's got a plan. Look at what he says. The witnesses are raised back to life after three and a half days and caught up to heaven. Then uh, verse 15, the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah. And he will reign forever and ever. That's our hope. There's a worship service going on in heaven while all the world is crazy. Why? Because Jesus is taking his throne and things are about to change. We have a profound, awesome hope as believers in Jesus Christ. You and I are promised because we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that one day when Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Those saved in the tribulation period will eventually be raised as well. And Jesus will come back in power and great glory, and by his very brightness his enemies are slain. He'll set up his kingdom for a thousand years here on earth. And then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And a decisive victory after Satan is released. uh, After that thousand year reign is released for a brief time. And Jesus will cause fire from heaven to come and destroy his enemies. And then there will be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. And never again will we have to deal with sin, persecution, wrong, injustice, The whole gamut. That's our hope. God is in charge when judgment comes. And he will reward. He'll bring judgment upon the wicked. Look at what it says. 
uh, you've taken your great power and have begun to reign, verse 17, then verse 18, the nations were angry, but your wrath has come, and the time for the dead to be judged. Can I tell you that Hitler is going to stand before the judgment? Mussolini is going to stand before the judgment. Pol Pot is going to stand before the judgment. All of these rulers across history who've done these profound injustices to others, but those who have done injustice in private, those who have secretly gotten away with crimes will stand before the judgment. A time is coming for God to judge. I want to tell you something. God is in charge. He's in charge now, and he'll be in charge then. And the judgment will come. Those who are sinful will be judged. And then look at what he says. He'll give reward to your servants, the prophets. Not just the prophets, but also to the saints. That's you and me. Those who have trusted in Jesus. We're called saints. Not because we're holy, but because Jesus is holy. And he gave us his holiness. (laughs) He has credited his holiness to us. That's That's another sermon, but great stuff. <clears throat> to the saints and to those who fear your name, both small and great. Isn't that great? Nobody may know your name here on this planet, but God does. Nobody may have seen the service that you've performed, but God does. Nobody may have appreciated the kindness that you showed to them, but God does. And no matter who you are, whether you're small, whether you're great, whether you've done much, whether you've done little, God sees what you have done and he will reward you. There is coming a day of justice and a day of grace. And that day of grace, God will give rewards to his children. As God is getting ready to describe all the horrors of this part of the tribulation and the things that the the Antichrist is going to do and the things that are going to happen in the world, God says, before I do that, I want to back up a little bit and give you the broad picture. Because although, although all this is going to happen, I'm still in charge. All of this is working according to my plan. I'm judging the nations according to my plan. I'm purifying Israel according to my plan. And when my plan is complete, I'm going to come back and consummate the deal. You see, God is in charge when the time of judgment comes. Verse 19 says, God's sanctuary in heaven was open and the Ark of the Covenant appeared in the sanctuary. God has made a promise to you and me. The Ark in the Old Testament was a picture of the Ark in heaven. It was a picture inside the Ark of the Covenant in Israel's time. The Ten Commandments were placed. Uh, the, the sign of God's covenant with his people Israel was placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. And it was also the place where the high priest would come and put the blood on the mercy seat. So it's a picture of our redemption. And it's a picture of God's promise to us. We have a new covenant. Now, God hasn't forgotten his first covenant with Israel either. He'll make good on that as well. But God hasn't forgotten his covenant with you and me. The new covenant. 
And so he gives us, a, he opens up heaven and he gives us a picture. He says, listen, I know things are crazy. I know you don't understand. I know all hell has broken loose on earth. But he says, I'm going to tell you something. I am still in charge. I still have a plan. I have made a promise to you and I will not fail to keep it. Trust me. Keep on serving me. Keep on following me. It is worth it when Jesus comes back. God is in charge. I want to close by reading you a scripture out of Romans 8. Verse 31, it says, What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not with us? How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, the one who died. But even more has been raised and is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sleep, as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than victorious through him. Who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created being will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is in charge. Father, thank you so much for your word for your encouragement to us, Lord, that you bring so faithfully. Thank you for the fact that you are in charge. When people rebel, you're in charge. When, Lord, when, when your good people die or suffer, you're in charge. And one day, Lord, you're going to be in charge when you come back. I praise you for that. Lord, help us to trust you in our daily lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation. I just want to invite you to respond to the Lord. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, can I tell you, the Bible says that all have sinned. All of us have. And that the penalty for that sin is hell, but God doesn't want anybody to go there. So he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, who died for your sin and for mine and rose again so that God could legally grant us forgiveness, eternal life, a home in heaven when we die, a relationship with Him based on what Jesus has done. But it, the key to entering into that is to trust Him for it. I want to encourage you this morning to make a choice to turn from your sin in your own way by faith to trust Jesus to give you the gift of eternal life. If you'd like to do that this morning, I'd love to lead you in a prayer.
I'm going to ask you here in a moment as we begin to sing, just just step out of your seat, come down here to the front. I'll be standing here at the front. And you can know where you're going to spend eternity. Jesus is coming and you need to be ready. If you're here today as a believer, maybe you have kind of lost perspective in your life. Things are going crazy in your life and all around you, things don't make sense and you've got questions. Maybe you just need to come to this altar today and say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I choose to trust you. I'm going to serve you, Lord, regardless of what other people do. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to live my life for you. And I'm going to trust you. And I'm just laying that down today. Maybe you need to come tell God that today. There's a scripture that says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. God will take care of you. Will you make that decision? Maybe there's somebody here that needs to take that step of baptism or that step of church membership or or something else. Maybe God has called you to ministry. You need to surrender to that. Will you respond to him this morning? Let's stand. You come right now. Hymn number 400.